I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And you may not have brought a Bible if you didn't. Hopefully, in most of the seat racks in front of you, there should be a black Bible. I know some of you in the front rows may not have those. But if you are using one of those black Bibles, it's page 718. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11 today. And the message is entitled, Out Into Deep Water. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a DTR? Have you ever had a DTR? Jeff, what's a DTR? A DTR is a define the relationship with someone. Pastor Steve's talked about this before. I know I've experienced this in my life. Uh, This is when uh, couples, for instance, they get to a certain point in the relationship and they go, what exactly is this? Are we like getting more serious? Are we going to get more serious? Are we just friends? And it's define the relationship. I know that there was a certain location on our college campus where couples went to do a DTR. And maybe you've done a DTR with someone. I know I had to do that in, in my relationship with Tricia. But the reason I bring it up is because the passage we're going to look at today is about a DTR. It's about a DTR that Jesus has with a follower named Simon Peter. And as we continue in this series in Luke, if you haven't been with us, let me just catch you up. This series is called The Life of Christ, and we're studying this gospel, Luke, and we're doing that for a couple reasons. One, here's our series sentence. We've been reading it every week. Let's read it out loud together. We want to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. And the whole idea is, is that through the word of God, because Jesus is alive, because his Holy Spirit is able to illuminate the words of God for us, we can actually be with Jesus right now, this morning. And whenever you and I open the scriptures, we can ask him, show us how we can be with him in that way. And that's what we're doing. But as we open the Bible to study this, there are several ways we could do that. But here's one of the ways we've been focusing on. In fact, there's a triangle that some of you have actually put in your notes just to help you remember. There's the words on top of the triangle. There's the works on the left corner of the triangle. And there's the way on the right corner of the triangle. And so if you're following along in the notes, we repeat it there as well, is in Luke, we want to learn the words, the works, and the way of Jesus. And uh, oftentimes... It's common for churches to pay a lot of attention to the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus, but not always the way of Jesus, the character of Jesus. So when the Bible says is that God's whole goal in life for you and for me is to conform us, to make us more like Jesus, it doesn't just mean that we would say certain things like Jesus or do certain things like Jesus. It means that we would have the same character and live the same way Jesus did. And that's a process. But that's what he's got us in for in a relationship with him. So this morning, if you're following along, here's what I hope you'll see. Jesus' words bring a defining moment for Simon Peter. Jesus' words bring a defining moment for Simon Peter. This whole idea of DTRs, define the relationship, defining moments, is... I don't know if you've ever had a defining moment that you can think of right now, but you probably have. A defining moment is one of those moments in life, I I wrote these thoughts down, those moments of truth in our lives that reveal our true character and define who we really are, those points in our lives where we make a decision that will change us forever, 
those moments that determine all that will follow from this day forward. It's a point in life when decision meets action. It's when something becomes so definite, we cannot miss it. But it all depends on what we do with those defining moments that determines which way our lives go. And Jesus brought Simon Peter into a defining moment in these verses. And I'm praying that as you walk to your car today, you'll be able to remember exactly the response that Peter had when Jesus did that. So let's pray. And then we'll actually read this passage and unpack it, okay? Now, Lord, I don't know how you do it, but I pray you would be the teacher of every one of us through this passage. I pray you would speak to the hearts and minds of every person in this room, whether they're far from God or whether they're close to you, God, wherever they are on the spiritual map, I'm just amazed at your ability to teach us. I pray you'd meet us where we really are so that you can take us where only you can take us. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, let's look at these verses, and I'm going to invite you, there on the notes in the two gray boxes are some of the verses I'd love for you to read out loud with me when we come to them. So verse 4 and 5 and verse 10, if you could be ready, I'll start with verse 1. Let's go. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, you'll notice in your footnotes that also can be the Sea of Galilee. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Again, just picture the crowds that were gathering. We've been learning about that. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, probably right nearby there on the shore. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And again, I'll come back to why he did this. Now let's read verse 4 and 5 together in the gray box there. When he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6 continues, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now, would you read verse 10 with me? Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, in this defining moment that Jesus has with Peter, what I want you to notice, first of all, if you're following along in the notes, is this is that this defining moment takes place on the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. This defining moment takes place on the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. I've mentioned this almost every week. This isn't Rochester. This isn't Riverton. This isn't Taylorville. This isn't Springfield. This is Capernaum. And because we haven't been there, it can actually sound like a make-believe place. But this is a place that some of you have actually visited. It still exists. That, that body of water is still there. This was an actual 
place. Why, Jeff, is that so important? Here's why. Defining moments are not fantasy. They happen in definite places to definite people in definite ways. So if you turn your notes over on the back, I've listed there uh, something so you can kind of just see the geography of what we're talking about. If you were to take a trip to the Holy Land, you would see these same places still exist today. And the same body of water, last I checked, the Mediterranean Sea was still there. And Jerusalem is there down in the south. If you look at that first box and you see Nazareth where Jesus grew up is north of that. And then northeast of that is Capernaum. This is where we are on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And there on the Sea of Galilee, I had my assistant on the next box over to the right circle Capernaum and part of the Sea of Galilee because I want you to know that if Peter was here right now telling us this story, he would say, I can take you to the spot. I can take you to the place where Jesus met me. And I can point to exactly where he asked me to go out into deep water. Now, the Sea of Galilee, I was actually looking online uh, yesterday, just uh, studying the Lake, Lake Springfield a little bit, just to get an idea how they might look different, how they might be a little different. The Sea of Galilee was sometimes called the Lake of Gennesaret because it wasn't that big. It was only 13 uh, miles by eight miles, as you can see on that little diagram. And its deepest spot, it was 150 feet deep. And there was a, a, a way for many of these villages that lived, sometimes 10, 15,000 people in these villages like Capernaum, that they would go fishing because it was the way they could make money. And they used nets, not fish in line. And so when they did that, it was something they did every day. And in order to do that, they had to clean their nets because if they didn't, their nets would dry out and rot and break. And it was just a pattern that they did every day. It was their every day life that Jesus came into. Now, uh, Kent Hughes writes this. He says this, it was backbreaking work because it involved laying out a great net in a semicircle encompassing over 100 feet drawing it hand over hand, then repeating the procedure again and again. It was hard work that only strong men could perform. And so you had to be really strong to do this. These nets were very heavy, and especially when you're moving them through water, if they have fish, all that kind of stuff, even to throw them out again, pull them, all that. And then to have to clean them every day, and on and on it goes. And so Jesus knows this. Now the nets, the nets were often bell-shaped with lead weights around the edges. Usually the boats were anywhere from 16 to 30 feet long, about eight feet wide. So again, on a sea, the storm that would come up on the Sea of Galilee because it was surrounded by hills and it was about 700 feet below sea level. So when winds would come across it, these little boats would just be like bobbers. It was always a vulnerable thing, and a storm could come very quickly. As we read later in the Gospels, Jesus was actually with him in the boat in one of those storms. But here's what I want you to see, is that because they had these nets like this, um, Jesus knows that right now they're cleaning those. And I, I put a picture there. I mean, this is not the best picture, okay? But I wanted to show you what a dragnet looks like where it has the bobbers on the top and the lead weights on the bottom. And again, they could be any different size, but a lot of times they would drag them, sometimes from the shore and many times with boats, okay? Can you picture all this now? So Simon Peter and his companions and his partners, his business partners, all live in Capernaum. 
Jesus has come to their town and they're doing their work while Jesus, because of the crowd, begins to teach right near where they are. And as he teaches, he does something interesting. The Bible says is that he's getting crowded by the crowd. So much so, we know just because of the healings he's just been doing that people want to touch him. If people can just get near him, if people can just get his attention. And so he starts backing up and he's all of a sudden out at the water's edge. So he sees a couple boats and he goes, that'll give me some space to teach. So he gets in one of the boats. He gets in Simon's boat. We know Simon Peter. Some of us know him better as Peter, the name Jesus would give him. And so he goes, he says to Peter, would you just push me a little bit out from shore? Now, why does he do this? Not only to give him space, but because of the hills and because of the way this works, you know that water is a natural amplifier. Some of you have noticed that someone can be out in the middle of a lake and they're talking or whispering and you can hear them sometimes on the shore. Again, I read about a commentator just this week who he actually went back there a few years ago and he said, it's amazing. You can actually be heard better if you're actually out in a boat speaking on this particular part of the sea than you can if you're standing talking to each other on the shore. It just carried. And everyone was listening to Jesus' teaching. And friends, let me ask you, like we learned last week, when he spoke, he had authority like no one had ever heard before. They noticed that his words would go deeper into them than any words had ever gone before and stay with them longer than any words had ever stayed with them. And so they're crowding to hear the word of God like they've never heard it before. And it's into this that Jesus finishes teaching. And what I want you to see, if you're following along in the notes, you can turn them back over on the front there, is that Jesus speaks first to the crowd and then directly to Simon Peter. So he's speaking to a large crowd, and then he narrows it down to one person. Sometimes people have told me that they've been in a service when one of us is teaching up front here, and they'll say, it was like you're talking just to me. I had a guy that one time said, have you been reading my mail? I said, you know I'm not that smart. And the idea here is that what he meant is, is that God came right to his seat. That now, even if it was talking to a crowd, now it gets very personal. Now it gets very direct. And so Jesus does that. He goes, Peter, you know, you just heard all the talking. Now I want to just talk to you. And here's what I want to say to you. And if you look in that first gray box, you'll see it. It's just this sentence. Put out into deep water. Out into deep water is where the message title comes from. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, let me ask you something. Do you know what Simon Peter's profession was like we've just been talking about? It was, he was a fisherman. It's what he knew. What was Jesus' profession? What even people outside the church or outside, you know, the family of God know what Jesus did? What was he before he started his ministry? He's a carpenter. Now, if you were a fisherman, would you let a carpenter tell you what to do? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? I was thinking this weekend's the NBA All-Star game. I was thinking, I've been really enjoying watching Steph Curry play basketball for the Golden State Warriors. I was thinking to myself, if I went up to Steph, I had an opportunity to go up to him and say, Steph, I know I've never played in the NBA. In fact, I'm not even that good at basketball. But if you listen to me, I can give you some advice that'll make your three-point shot even better. If you were Steph, would you listen to me? It'd be kind of tough, wouldn't it? At least it'd be a moment where Steph would be going, I'm trying to hang in there with you, Jeff, but it's not really compelling. The reason I say this to you is because, again, Peter's met Jesus before. He's heard him teach, but he's still working that out. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus? 
DTR, define the relationship. And Jesus says something to him that at that moment becomes a defining moment. You know, it's one thing when Jesus is speaking to the crowd, but when he speaks directly to you, you can't run away without making a decision. And Peter knew that. So he says, very honest thing here. I really appreciate what Peter says. He says, Master, I I didn't really want to disclose this in front of this crowd, but we worked hard all night and we didn't catch anything. Kind of embarrassing. It was a bad night for a fisherman. Then he says these words, these words, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, if you're following along the notes, here's what I want you to see. Jesus' invitation is clear, yet humbling and challenging. Jesus' invitation is clear, yet humbling and challenging. I love how author Mark Twain used to say years ago, even though he wasn't a believer, he said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do. You know what he's saying. (laughs) It's those parts that are so clear, I cannot cannot just make excuses. It's, It's so clear, I can't say it's not clear. But it humbles me. It challenges me. It asks me to do something. It asks me to trust, not myself, but to trust someone else. It challenges me to do something that's not really good timing or very convenient. See, here's what every fisherman knew. To fish in the morning like that was a lousy time to fish. Why? Because the sun's rays hit the top of the water and the fish avoided the sun. So why did they fish all night? Because that's the time to fish. And he says, look, we fished at the best time and caught nothing. Now you're asking me in front of all these people to go out and fish now. It's really hard for me to hear that. Master, you can hear him pleading. But then his defining moment becomes a turning point with the word But, some of your Bible translations say, nevertheless. And in that turning point, he says these next six words, because you say so, I will. So if you're following the notes, here it is. Peter says, but, because you say so, I will, and then does so. But, because you say so, I will, and then does so. Now, every once in a while, it's just good to be reminded. You know, don't you, that just because we've gathered here today and we've had a chance to read this passage and hear what God says, that that doesn't mean we do it. It's possible to walk out of here completely unchanged. It's possible to walk out of here and go, that was nice. That was good. That was even helpful. Uh, Now, what was I doing? And so the Bible tells us, do not be hearers of the word only, but be doers of what God says. Why? Because that's when life changes. It's on the other side of obedience that life changes, not on this side, not on being hearers only. And so Peter didn't just hear Jesus and go, that was clear, A for clearness. Uh, I'm not going to do it, but very clear, way to go. Love your teaching. See, and and Peter makes a decision right there. Now, friends, I have no idea all that was working inside Peter. But if it was anything like what works on me when Jesus says something that clear, my heart goes out to him and respects him for the decision he made. So look at this, if you're following along. It's when Peter obeys, he sees what he's never seen before. 
It's when Peter obeys that he sees what he's never seen before. What does he see? Well, first of all, we read that he sees fish. Fish like he's never seen before. Are any of you fishermen drooling? I was talking to a, a couple guys yesterday that called themselves anglers, and they say, you know, just the thought of getting anywhere near the chance to fish just revs them up, okay? Me, um, I, my brother's a great fisherman. Me, it, the, even when I was a kid, they were trying to teach me. The idea of touching a fish like that just, like, freaked me out. And then when I tried to catch the fish and touch it, the barbs got me so good in the hands that I thought, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. Now picture this, all this sloppy fish stuff is all going on. And for, for Peter, he's seeing dollar signs. He's seeing, this is like one of the best days ever. People will never believe when I tell them this story. Remember how big the boats were? Eight by 20. And, uh, you know, usually the front two were steering, the back two were holding the nets. Can you picture as they're pulling in the nets, the fish are all over the bottom of the boat, starting to stack up, and they have to call another boat. They start, you know, stacking that up. And all this stuff's happening. And when that's happening, Peter sees the fish, but actually he can't see the fish. All he can see is who's in the boat with him, Jesus. And he starts to go. He's smarter than I thought. He can see farther than I can see. He knows where the fish are. He knows me all the way to the back of my robe. He knows me. He sees what he's never seen before. And all of a sudden, he realizes he's in the presence of someone holy and good and true and straight as an arrow. And it humbles him beyond words, so much so that he climbs over the fish and kneels at Jesus' feet And instead of saying what I would have said, which was, can you stay around here every week and come back about this time? He said, would you please go away? I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I see what I didn't see before. You, you are God in human flesh. And it's scaring the daylights out of me. And sometimes when people talk about Jesus coming near, they describe it like a Hallmark card or like a warm glass of milk. And friends, all I want you to know is if you've ever encountered Jesus, one of the things that you'll know when Jesus comes close is sometimes it will scare you because he is so great and because he knows you so well. And so you'll think to yourself, I don't think he's going to want to hang out with me. Because if I know about myself, if he knows that, then there's no way he'd want me to be with him. Please go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Wow. You know, do you know that Jesus knows how to do your job better than you know how to do your job? Do you know Jesus knows how to do your relationships better than you know how to do your relationships? Do you know, actually, Jesus is the smartest person in the world? That there's nothing he's not smart about? I read this story years ago. I've never forgotten it. Bruce Larson tells of a friend from the first church he served in New York State. He was the chief engineer at a laboratory that produced sound equipment. At a small group prayer meeting one night, Sidney told us this story. 
He said, this week a strange thing happened. We produced 200 amplifiers for a custom order, and when they came off our assembly line, not a single one of them worked. We checked all the blueprints, all the parts, and could find nothing wrong. I went back into my office, I closed the door, and I got down on my knees and said, Lord, what's wrong with these amplifiers? And while I was still kneeling, the idea came across my mind of two particular wires. It didn't make sense to do so, but I went back and tried it to cross those two particular wires, and it worked. All of those sets were delivered in perfect working order because Jesus demonstrated he knew even more about electronics than I did. And he knows everything about everything. And when that hits us, it humbles us. So notice this last thing is falling at his feet and seeing Jesus as Lord reorders Peter's priorities. It reorders his priorities. How do we know that? Because verse 11 says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him because they'd heard Jesus say, if you'll follow me, if you'll, I know you feel like I don't want to be with you. I actually want to be with you. That's why I came to meet you. It's because I know who you are and I know who you can become. If you'll follow me, I have a purpose in your life that's even more long lasting than fish. It's people. And I want you to join me in the people business. And I want you to reach out to other people and fish for them, not for the sake of being better than them, but catching them alive, which is the real meaning there, so that they can live a different life. Just like I want to teach you a different life that's full of hope. So what if we have a DTR, a define the relationship? What's it look like? Let me just bring this home. Define the relationship does not mean that we won't wrestle with God at times. It doesn't mean we won't wrestle with God at times. Does it help you to know that even Jesus, when he lived here as a human being, wrestled with God? Mark 14, Mark 14 says this. Do you want to use the mic? Mark 14, if you look up here on the screen. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. This is Jesus the night before he was crucified. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. What was the awful hour, friends? It was the hour that God the Father and he had agreed to take the sins of the whole world, yours and mine, on his shoulders and become the sacrificial death that would forgive us from the penalty and consequences of our sin. Jesus, as he got near to it, realized what an awesome responsibility that was. And he cried out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Father, because you say so, I will. And the next day, Jesus walked up the hill. And he laid his back on the cross. And he was the only perfect human being to ever walk this earth. And he died in your place and mine. And because of that, he opened up a way for us to know life. Life of a completely different kind. And so it doesn't mean we won't struggle or wrestle. Maybe you're wrestling with something today that you know it's so definite. You know exactly what he's asking you to do. 
But if you're following along, what it does mean is it means taking the because you say so, I will way. It means taking the because you say so, I will way. If you could walk out of here with six words that might influence your week this coming week, what would it look like if you actually came to places with Jesus again and again, say, Jesus, if that's what you're telling me to do, if that's what you're showing me to do, that's what you're impressing on my heart and mind, I will do it. Even though it scares me, even though it humbles me and challenges me, because you say so and because of who you are in my life, I will do it. And then sometimes with trembling steps, we do it, don't we? And we step out or we go out into deep water like Peter did. And then notice that Jesus says these incredible words when we're willing to humble ourselves like that. He says, don't be afraid to trust me from now on. Don't be afraid to trust me from now on. I love the fact that he says, don't be afraid. You know, some of us would expect Peter to, you know, to hear Jesus say these words. You're right. You're a failure. You're a fool. I've come here to show you that. No, I've come here for you not only to see who I am, but to see who I can make you if you'll trust me. But will you trust me? And it doesn't mean don't be afraid, like never, ever be afraid, but don't stay scared. Don't stay scared. So I want to just share with you a story. Some of you have heard me share this years ago, but it's been a while. I had a defining moment in my life where I was sitting in a church service one Sunday and I had been wrestling with God for several weeks. So had my wife and we were, it was a huge decision that involved a move that involved a change of all that was secure and all familiar to us. And so we were worshiping with Trisha's parents up at a church in Chicago and a pastor stood up and shared this story that Sunday and it nailed me to my seat. And here's what, it, what he said. There's a harbor in the town where I take my summer study break. I like to run by it on Fridays because people will drive down to their sailboats that are tied to the docks in the harbor. I'll watch these people unload their coolers and their towels and their food and their drinks. And one couple will unload all that stuff on a Friday night. They'll spend from Friday night to Sunday night on their boat, never leaving the dock, never untying the ropes. They just spend the whole weekend there. They eat and they drink and they sunbathe. They listen to the radio and then they pack all that stuff back up in their cars and drive home. The next day, someone at work asks them, hey, Phil, what'd you do this weekend? And Phil says, we went sailing. Then the other couples come down and they unload their cars, stock their boats. They get a little bored just tied to the dock. So about mid-Saturday afternoon, they untie themselves carefully back out of the slip and they cruise around the harbor. There's a little restaurant down the river they can tie up to, go and have dinner. Some of them go out by the breakwater and look at the waves and the wind out there, and they don't want any part of that, so they'll make a U-turn, and then they'll come back, tie up to the dock, load their stuff up on Sunday night, and they go to work the next day on Monday morning, and someone says, Tom, what'd you do this weekend? And Tom says, we went sailing. And then there are always the individuals who come down, and they unload their cars, stock their sailboats, and they throw the ropes off the boat, there and leave them on the dock and they head straight out toward open water and they sail. They really sail. And they feel the wind in their face and the spray comes over the side and they can hear the rushing sound of water sliding alongside the hull and the boat is heeling over and yeah, stuff gets spilled and there's the pitching and yawing and all that. But they see fabulous sunsets 
and these incredible sunrises, and they have that exhilarating sense of freedom, and they're saying to themselves, this is sailing. When they come back and they tie up at the dock and they pack their stuff on Sunday night and go to work on Monday morning and someone says, hey, Frank, what did you do this weekend? Frank says, I went sailing. And then he said these words. What I want to ask you this morning, friend, is who went sailing? You know, some of you claim to be Christians and you've never been sailing you got your little Bible and you say your little prayers and you keep your nose as clean as you can. You're not doing anybody any harm. You're not doing the kingdom any good. You're tied up next to the dock. It's all safe there. But you're not really telling the truth if you tell others you're going sailing. And others of you are bold enough to actually motor around the harbor a bit. But I'll tell you what, you still have a hold of the wheel there. And if it looks like it's getting just a bit dangerous, you turn around and go right back to the slip because you don't want the open sea. And I just feel bad for all of you Christians who've never been out in the open sea, seas of faith where God is in control of your life, where you feel the exhilaration of making progress outside the sight of land. I just feel bad for you because you see, it's out on the open sea where you receive the biggest thrills of the Christian life. It's out there where your faith is really tested and your faith grows. It's out there where you experience miracles and answers to prayer. It's out there where the presence of Christ is so real to you, so close that you can't stop from telling other people about it. And then he said this line, if I could, I would walk by all your boats this morning and cut the ropes. Because I know that three or four months from now, you'd come back and say, thanks for cutting my ropes thanks for pushing me out of the harbor because I've been sailing now. Those who sail, those who really trust Christ fully, who are out there taking risk and suffering losses, but feeling his presence, that's Christianity, friends. And I remember sitting there thinking, I have a decision to make and I know exactly what Jesus is asking me to do. It was unmistakable. Even Jeff Nelson couldn't miss it. And a month later, Trisha and I went into a meeting that changed the direction of my life forever. And it eventually, it led us to meet you and to be in this room on this day. And it was a defining moment in my life. And it will not be the last. There will be all kinds of little things and big things that Christ may ask us to do, friends. The question is, what will we say when he asks us to do them? I'm praying that I will and you will say, because you say so, Lord, I will. I'm scared out of my wits, but I will. I will. So as we close the message here, you notice the last question is this. Jesus, is there an area of my life I'm not letting you be Lord? I'm not... I'm not letting you take me out into deep water. I'm not letting you be the leader of my life. I've taken back the controls or I'm just unwilling to let you talk to me about that. I don't know what area it might be. It may be a relationship, it may be your job, it may be money, it may be time, it may be a habit, it may be something. I don't even know what it is. I just know that here's, here's what I know about Jesus. He knows and he knows what he's talking about. And he's talking to you about it, not because he hates you, 
but because he loves you. And he wants for you to see things you've never seen before and to know things that you would never know unless you say, yes, I will, and then do it. And so let's just take a moment to let the Holy Spirit have his way, speak to us in this space, and then do business with God, whatever he might be prompting you to do.